This morning I would invite you to turn to our second reading of the day, our epistle text from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, looking at the whole passage from 1 through 10. Now the irony of this is, is that as Paul talks about this thorn in his flesh, I promise you for a fact that everything for the screen was ironed out and prepared to run smoothly. I guarantee it. And I say the irony of it is, is because despite all of those preparations and the best intentions and effort invested, somehow the devil still works his way into the mix, and so this becomes a thorn in our flesh. But that's not what Paul is talking about today. He's not talking about discomfort in terms of first world kind of problems. He's not talking about, I can't charge my cell phone. He's not talking about those little things that become big deals in our life today. In fact, Paul is talking about a totally different kind of weakness and a totally different kind of suffering. And in doing so, he calls us to not underestimate the sufficiency of what we have from God. I would ask you to hearken back to our lesson from last week from Jeremiah chapter 3. Where at the beginning of the chapter, Jeremiah lays it out and everything is horrible. This hard word of condemnation and judgment has come down on the people. And it seems like all hope has been lost. And then Jeremiah says, yeah, but I have hope. Because of the unceasing mercy and steadfast love of God. That in spite of any struggle or suffering endured in this life, our hope in Christ is more than enough. But being grace-filled people doesn't always equate to being graceful people. Sometimes we still step on our own air hose. We say the wrong words. We still hurt people with our actions. And we tend to identify success, good health, and prosperity with being blessed by God. Right? You know how this happens. You come into a parking lot and the entire parking lot is packed full of cars except for that one spot on the far back end of the parking lot that you have to walk a whole hundred yards across the heat of the blacktop all the way into the air-conditioned store. 
And then it happens. That spot right in front of the building suddenly opens up just in time to pull in. And you think, thank you, Lord, you were watching out for me. I'm blessed. We struggle to see how God blesses us in the midst of struggle and sickness and grief. There is this idea of what we call the ministry of presence. Where when we go and we visit people in the hospital or in prison or in their homes and we take that presence, that body of Christ that we gather as here in worship and we take it to them where they are and there is this ministry of presence where they are still connected to the broader body of Christ. This idea that we go and we bless others by simply showing up. And yet I cannot tell you how many times I go to take communion to someone or to just simply sit and visit with them and I walk away feeling like, wasn't I supposed to make you feel good? And just the opposite happened. The ministry of presence is a two-way street. And Paul tells us this morning that he must go on boasting, but not on his own behalf, except for his weaknesses. You see, we can be less than graceful in how we express the way that God fills us with his grace. In other words, we need to be emptied out first. But see, the people of God have always underestimated the sufficiency of what God has provided. As the Israelites are wandering in the desert and they begin to grumble against God to Moses and they say, We're hungry. You brought us out here to die. We were better off staying as slaves in Egypt where at least our meat pots were full. And so God does something amazing where he rains down manna and quail from heaven to feed his people and he gives them the instructions, take only what you need for one day. And I promise you there will be more tomorrow. And you know how the story goes. They went out and they collected as much as they could carry, way more than they needed, and then it spoiled. And God does something amazing and it shows up again the next day anyway. We want to be independently dependent. We want to rely on God on our own terms. 
As the people of God construct the Tower of Babel, they build this tower up into the heavens and they say, look how amazing we are. Look what we can do with our gifts. We can reach up as high as the heavens themselves. And God goes, oh yeah? Watch this. And he scatters them across the earth. We want more, not less. And when it comes to baptism, we want the family name without any of the baggage that it carries. See, Israel was all about boasting that they were the chosen people of God. This was the kind of zealous faith that Saul, the man we know as the Apostle Paul, had before his conversion. Look how faithful I am that even I am going about and persecuting these Christians, these followers of Jesus. Sufficiency is supplied in everything that we need. This doesn't mean that we always get exactly what we want, but God always provides in great sufficiency for what we need. And so realistically, Paul could boast about his transformation from being a zealous enemy of God to a now ardent apostle of the gospel. And yet, in the same hope as Jeremiah, Paul finds sufficiency in suffering, a persistent thorn in his flesh. So to keep me from becoming conceited, Paul writes, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. A while back, I served with a congregation and we prayed this prayer that, Lord, let us be comfortably uncomfortable, lest we become complacent. Let us be comfortably uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. And in praying that prayer, all kinds of things started to happen and they weren't always good. The lease on the space that we had been renting for worship ran out. People got sick. Our worship time had to move from one time in the morning to another in the afternoon. We went from being able to make decisions where everybody had a voice to suddenly a board of directors where only those elected could vote. And all of this discomfort, all of these things where God made us uncomfortably comfortable, comfortably uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel, they eventually came and they said, Pastor, this is all your fault. Stop praying that prayer. But the reality was is that they would have rather been complacent. 
And see, as the people of God, we're called to constantly be in motion, on mission, for the sake of the gospel. We are not supposed to be static. But when our prayers to be kept comfortably uncomfortable are answered, we experience buyer's remorse. Right? Like when you order something from Amazon and you go to open up the package because you can't actually see it before you buy it. And you unwrap the box and you open it up and think, well, that's not what I ordered. Send it back. Lord, please take this thorn from my flesh. Or you have that feeling where you say, this isn't the right size. Right? When we buy clothes for our kids, it's always a guessing game as to whether or not it's going to fit today the same way it will when we hope they can wear it for the wedding. When we go back to St. Louis at the end of the month. And it's a guessing game. And sometimes when God allows us to be comfortably uncomfortable to bear that thorn in our flesh, he says, you're not ready for this yet. But you will be. Or you say, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do with this. Right? That lovely birthday Christmas gift that you get from Great Aunt Hope, and you open it up and you're like, well, I appreciate the thought. But what is it? Is it a tool? Is it a toy? What am I supposed to do with this? And we try to make sense of what the experience of suffering even is. As I was walking through a particularly difficult season of ministry and we began to ask, why? What is going on? What are we supposed to do with this? A fellow pastor challenged me with the question to consider, what is God asking me to learn and grow into through this experience? What am I being prepared for? For everything that we think we need, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. In our gospel text for today, Jesus sends out the disciples two by two with nothing but the bare essentials. He doesn't say, oh, on the way out, make sure you stop at the store, you stock up on food, because I don't know if you'll get any on the road. And it might be cold and wet, so take that extra tunic that you've been holding on to, and you might want to pack an extra pair of sandals. No, actually, he says just the opposite. Leave all of that stuff behind. It's only going to slow you down. 
and make sure that you have everything else along the way. Imagine for a moment what every single prophet must have felt when God called them to jump into the deep end of the pool when they were supposed to go and say things to the people of God that they really didn't want to hear. And for every time we've asked, Why me, God? And instead he's answered, My power is made perfect in your weakness. Be content with the sufficiency of your weakness in Christ. You see, what we view as weakness, God makes powerful. The brokenness of our backstory. All of those things that we hide, all of those things that we are far less than proud of. The old Saul that we carry as baggage upon our back, where we zealously lived as enemies of God, suddenly become a platform to proclaim God's power and grace. The Apostle Paul says, I once knew a man who 14 years ago, and he's being very specific here because he's talking about himself. He's talking about the man that he was in his conversion. Because nothing is without purpose or plan, but rather enacted with intentionality according to the grace of God. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes and says, We do not run aimlessly, nor do we box as one beating the air. There are no accidents in God's plans. Only divine appointment. So that God's grace is sufficient even when our strength is not. Because God's grace shows up in the most unexpected places. I'm a firm believer that grace is a whole lot like glitter. That it gets all over everything. You can never get it out. And you find it in the most unexpected places. I hate doing crafts with glitter. But I have to confess. That about this time last year. Which by the way we've officially been here a full year as Alaskans. July 7th was when we moved up last year. I was walking past Allison Chandler's window, the principal for Anchor Lutheran School, and she had her window open and a fan blowing circulating air across her office. And I have to say that I've known Allison for a long time. So I say that to say this. As I walked past, I couldn't quite help myself, and I took a handful of glitter, 
from outside of the window and dropped it into her fan and joyfully watched as it blew all across her office. She still finds glitter in her office. Grace is a lot like glitter. When Paul is called to serve God, and he is blinded in his conversion as he comes to know Jesus as Lord for himself, God appears to a man named Ananias in Damascus, and he says, Ananias, I want you to go get this guy named Saul off the road. He's blind, and he's waiting for you. And Ananias goes, Lord, I think you've got the wrong guy. I've heard all about this Saul. I've heard about how he persecutes your followers in Jerusalem. And I know that he's come to do even worse things here in Damascus. I think you've got the wrong guy. And God says, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I love what he says next to Ananias. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So then in verse 10 of our reading today, Paul writes and says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when we are weak in the flesh, we are strong in Christ. Because God always gets the glory, now and forevermore. Amen.